What do you say to yourself? What words do you use when you talk to yourself? Now, we don't need to be coy. We don't need to say, oh, I, I don't talk to myself. What, what does that mean? Like, we all do it. I do it. You do it. Like, what do you say when you talk to yourself? And I don't mean like the little things like, oh, don't forget to get eggs today or don't forget your wife's birthday. Whatever you do, don't forget your wife's birthday. Like, I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about like, what do you say in that ongoing repetitive inner dialogue, what are you saying? What, what words are on repeat in your mind? If you're like most people, and I imagine you are, the most common repetitive thought is most likely negative, right? It, it, it's this sticking voice that does, doesn't seem to go away, right? Because, and I'll give you a couple of examples, it's likely Whenever you're driving in traffic, you're not thinking, man, God has blessed me with all these amazing drivers on the road today. It's probably something like, why is it every time I get in the car, all the idiots get in their cars too? It's probably something like that. Or maybe you're like me in the morning, the first thought that comes to your mind is, I have so much I need to get done today. And then at the end of the day, it's, man, I didn't get anything done today, right? Or if it's money, it may be something like, I'll never have enough. It, it always seems to just disappear as soon as I get it. If it's among relationships, it might be like, I can't trust anybody. Everybody's out for themselves. Or maybe it's even more inward. Maybe it's a lot more derogatory towards yourself. So if you do something wrong, you will think to yourself, you idiot. You're dumb. You're always making mistakes. You always mess up. It's this negative loop. So my question again is, what, what do you say to yourself whenever you talk to yourself? And I'm asking that question, and it's a really important question for us to ask because I think it's a lot more important than many of us might imagine. So we're actually finishing out our Missing Peace series this morning. We've been talking about mental health, um, hitting some of these hot topics, these things that in some capacity, in some way, we have dealt with, we are dealing with, or we know somebody who is dealing with some type of mental health, from anxiety to depression to overwhelming worry. And today, I want to talk to you about thoughts, about negative thinking. Why am I talking about this? Well, because of what Proverbs says, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, be careful how you think. Why? Why should I be careful about my thoughts? These things that seem to be fleeting and coming and going based off my circumstances. Why should I care about what I am thinking? Because your thoughts, your life is shaped by your thoughts. There's actually, um, psychologists have a term for this phenomenon. It's called the law of cognition. The law of cognition. It simply means what you think impacts how you feel and how you feel will impact how you live your life. Law of cognition. And essentially it's saying your life is headed in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is headed in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So begs the question, what are you thinking about most? Author and preacher Paul David Tripp once said, I mean, look at this guy. He looks like a fun uncle. I listen to anything this guy says. 
He says this, no one is more influential in your life than you. Why? Because nobody talks to you more than you do. So we probably should pay attention to what I am saying to myself about the thoughts that I allow in my brain because they may have a lot more impact on my life and my trajectory than I might think. This morning we're talking all about thoughts, all about thinking. Here's another reason why I think it's important for us to talk about it. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. <laughs> we're actually, <clears throat> in a couple of months, we're going to be doing a whole sermon series on Romans, which is going to be heavy and deep and really interesting. But for now, let's just listen to Paul's words in this chapter. For those who live according to the flesh, not like skin, we're talking about fleshly desires. Think about you at your worst, you whenever you're having a bad day, when, you when you're feeling sorry for yourself, and you pull out the ice cream and you binge watch the show that you know you shouldn't be watching. These are desires of the flesh, right? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, well, they set their minds on things of the Spirit. So there's something about where our mind is set. Why? For to set the mind on the flesh is not just a bad thing. It's not just a thing you should maybe pay a little more attention to. It's death. And to set your mind on the Spirit is life and, well, the thing that many of us are missing in our life, isn't it? Peace. So maybe what we think, the thoughts that run through our mind, are far more important than we might realize. If you find yourself hurting, if you find yourself feeling broken, if you find yourself discouraged, could it be that your mind is not set on things of God or the Spirit, but your mind is actually set on things of the flesh? That it's leading you to a life of discouragement and ultimately death when God has promised you something far greater and grander and could it be as simple as what we are thinking, what we allow to ruminate on? I want to lay out my aggressive plan for you this morning. Aggressive plan. I have certain goals that I want to do, and it's a three-part plan that I think we can work through pretty, pretty easily today. So first, I want to show you why and how negativity is not just hurting you, but it's hurting your family, your relationships, your marriage. It's hurting your values, the direction of your life, your outlook on the world, and on and on and on. I want to show you the great impact negativity can have on your life. And then the second part of our plan is I want to help you identify the very specific form of negativity that you suffer with. Because if you can't define it, you can't defeat it. If you don't know the enemy, you have no way of fighting against the enemy. So I want to do an exercise with you that's going to help you, as long, along with me, I need help with this too, define the area and the focus of our negativity. And then the third part of our plan this morning is I want to give you a tool inspired by the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit, of how we can turn our mind from negative to positive. That's my plan this morning. I think we can do it, so let's, let's dive right in. Let's answer this question first. Why is negativity so toxic? 
why is it so bad that our mind is negative periodically? And it's what's known to be called a negative bias. A negative bias, negativity bias, maybe you've heard it. Essentially, this is a thing in psychology that says that your mind is more adaptable. It, it absorbs negative news more than it does positive news, right? You are more inclined, you're more leaning towards the negative than you are the, the positive. Neuroscientist research demonstrates that whenever negative events, news, whatever, gossip, whenever it hits our brain, our brain becomes like glue. It sticks. We can't get rid of it. Whenever positive things hit us, it impacts us, but it's almost like a bouncy ball. It impacts us and it bounces off pretty quickly. It's this crazy phenomenon that happens and it happens in our day-to-day -day living. Let me show you. For example, on social media, which articles, which news things, which, which events and, th and, and posts that go up, which ones get more likes and shares and comments than others? Whenever you go read the comments, where do your eyes immediately go to? It's usually negative things. If social media might be cracking down a little bit on this, whatever, it doesn't matter because we can just go to news outlets. It's been this way forever. If it bleeds, it leads, right? So what do they feed us? They feed us the drastic news, the shooting, the, the, the new disease, the, the potential of a crash or a political break. Whatever it is, it leads. It gets the most shares. Let me give you an example from my personal life. Whenever I had to defend my thesis, I had a, a panel of five people I had to give a presentation to. They had my report. They raked through it, and then they were just criticizing me, giving me questions, all this kind of stuff. So I did fairly well, good enough to pass. And most of them, at the end of it, four of the five said, hey, great work, Peyton. You did good work, outstanding, love what you did, cool. All of them except one. <laughs> I don't know what I did to this professor. He wasn't a fan of my presentation, but he conceded because the others did. He's, you know, you pass, but I have my, my qualms about it. Who do you think... I spent the majority of my time thinking about the four that gave me a positive review or the one who gave me a negative. Who do you think still impacts me today, years later, as I think about that moment? It is the negative, the one out of the five, and it still has a greater impact on me. Unfortunately, chronic negativity has detrimental effects on our life. And it's just the way our brain works. It's the way our brain operates. It's how God made us, right? Whenever we are impacted by danger, whatever that danger is, in our way, it's usually a mind game, right? It's, it's news articles, it's a fear and all this kind of stuff. Our body is physically reacting to that, right? It sends us into, I know you've heard of this, the fight or flight mode, right? This is a physiological phenomenon that happens in our body. God designed us this way so that whenever we are impacted by danger, our body reacts to protect us. In fact, the, the, the brain releases this thing called cortisol into our bloodstream. That hormone makes it so we become more alert, more focused, more ready to tackle problems. It serves us extremely well until it doesn't until it doesn't. 
You see, whenever we become chronically negative, trapped in this ongoing negative loop, we are constantly feeding our body and our brain danger. We are living in a perpetual sense of threat. And remember what Paul says, the mind that's governed by the flesh, or another way to say that, the mind governed by fear, leads to death. Both spiritually, emotionally, cognitively, physically as well. But the mind governed by the spirit leads to life and peace. So here's what's happening. You're surrounded by negativity. It's most of what you see online, it's negative. What your friends are talking about, it's negative. It's gossip. Most of what you say to yourself, your inner talk, it's negative. Most of what you hear in the news and your, in, your input, it's negative. And by focusing on the negative, you end up creating negative neural pathways in your brain. We've talked about neural pathways here, but let me just give you a quick summary. A neural pathway is a thing that happens in your brain the more you think a thought, the easier it is for your brain to get to that thought. Think of it like running through a cornfield, right? The first time you run through, it's pretty difficult. The second time, it's a little bit easier. And the more and more you go to that thought, the flatter and the easier it becomes to get there. So what's happening is as you're fixating on the negative, as you're associating with negative people, as you're embracing criticism, as you're expecting the worst case scenario, you're essentially creating a neural negative pathway in your brain. And negativity is becoming a habit for you. It's becoming a default posture in your life where the first reaction is you jump on the highway and you get to where you have always gotten. It's this belief that things will be bad and only get worse. That you can't actually trust anybody. That everybody is going to let you down in some way. All Christians are a certain way. Life is dreadful and only getting worse. My life has no purpose. It has no meaning. I have no direction. I have no desire. And we keep in this quite literally becoming a default way of thinking, this way of life. The mind governed by the flesh is death, Paul says. The news you consume, the shows you watch, the lyrics you listen to on repeat, the social media that you makes you feel excluded and jealous and angry and inferior, the people you choose to spend the most time with, all of these factors are contributing to this inner script of your life that is quite literally determining the trajectory of it, of the direction that it is going. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thought. Your thoughts are extremely powerful. Here's the good news, is that you can actually have extreme power over your thoughts. You can, but the first step to do that is you have to know what you're fighting against. You need to be able to identify it. You need to be able to define it if you want to defeat it. And so I want to help you try to identify where does negativity appear its ugly head? Where does it rear its ugly head in my life the most? What I'm going to do is I'm going to put up four categories of negativity. These are mine. These are not, this is not an exhaustive list. These will likely overlap. What I want you to do in this exercise is I want you to try to identify of the four, which one are you most likely leaning into? 
which is your natural default of life. Okay, y'all ready? Let's, let's identify these. What's your biggest one? I'm working through these two, so we're all having grace here. What's holding you back? Number one, that is missing peace. Number one, cynicism. Cynicism. I'm defining cynicism as a general distrust of people and their motives. Okay, so simply you just, everybody is out for themselves, right? Everybody is working toward their own agenda. Everybody is working to take advantage of me. It's like when you go to a car lot and they want to sell you a car and you're like, you don't actually want to put me in the car I want. You just are trying to get a buck out of me, right? And that mentality is everywhere in your life. From your job to your kids, to your spouse, to your church, everything is just trying to take advantage of you. What happens in cynicism is this becomes a generalization process, right? So something happens with one person, it happens with everybody, right? And we just become cynical people. I was reading some studies about cynicism and some of the experts, whoever these experts are, they suggest that cynicism often reflects what we feel the most about ourselves, which I thought was pretty interesting. And that, for me at least, was pretty uncomfortable to hear. (laughs) But when we harbor distrust in the motives of other people, it is often revealing an inner struggle of my own motives. I mean, what we'll often do is project my insecurities onto other people and look at their intentions because I'm weary of my own intentions, right? Whatever it is for you, maybe yours is cynicism. Next one, I'm calling negative filtering. Negative filtering, here's how I'm defining it. The act of solely focusing on what's wrong, completely overlooking a good that could be found in a given situation. Now, this one's interesting because it carries everywhere. This is the, the worst case scenario situation, right? So I'll give you some some scenes. It's like whenever your teenager is out too late, right? And they're not answering their phone and your mind goes to all of the worst things that could be happening to them right then, right? All the moms are like, mm-hmm, yeah. Even though the 18 other times they were late, they were fine. This time, no, they're definitely dead in a ditch somewhere and I have to go save them, right? It's the worst case. A little more funny example, a little more real example, whenever you text a friend and it takes them two hours to text back and you're like, oh, I should have put a period instead of an exclamation point. I look obsessive. They're going to hate me. They're going to think I'm, I'm dorky. They're not going to be my friends. I'm going to die alone, right? It's just like, it, where did that thought go? It's whenever you go on vacation, you're surrounded by God's beauty of relaxation and all you can think about is how much I'm paying, Oh, I'm not getting my money's worth. When you go to a restaurant and you're nitpicking instead of enjoying company with the person across from you, it's when you meet somebody new and you're finding all of their faults because they can't be that perfect. So you want to identify it so that you can control the situation. You know where this also creeps up in that many of us don't like to admit? In our relationship with the church. Instead of recognizing what we are doing in a moment, we are gathered with God's people. We are worshiping the creator of it all. And we are told that he is in our presence right now. And our focus is on everything that the church is doing wrong. About what so-and-so is doing. About what we should and could be doing better. About not my preference. Not what I've been taught. Not my tradition. Negative filtering, it's a lens that we carry with us. 
Next one, absolute thinking. I'm defining this one as polarized thoughts where everything seems extreme or it's an all or nothing. For example, if a man hurts you, all men are bad. If a woman lies to you, all women are liars. If a politician says they're going to do a certain thing and don't, everybody in that camp is wrong. If you don't agree with a certain policy, then everything is bad. And this is a very extreme and very dangerous way of thinking. Because what happens is we go through a process of oversimplification of very complex realities. So, and where this gets scary, is this can happen on a very personal level. We talked about this a little bit last week. If I make a mistake, all of a sudden I am defined, I have defined myself as a person who just is stuck in that mistake. I can't get over my alcoholism. I keep desiring it. I am an alcoholic and I'll never not be. I am just an angry person. I am cynical. I am greedy. I am prideful. Or my spouse is, or my kids are, or my, my, the opposite end of the, my politician, right? This is the leading mentality is if they don't agree with me, then they are against me. If we are not agreeing on every level, then we are enemies to each other. This is the leading mindset in politics. This is the leading mindset on social issues. This is the leading mindset in the church. It's becoming the leading mindset in friendships where you can't even be friends with people who think different than you because if you're not with me, you're against me. Absolute thinking. I want to make this very clear on this one. Just because you are right about something, whatever it is, just because you are right about something doesn't automatically make you righteous. We cannot oversimplify the complexities of being a human in God's world. Absolute thinking. Last one, blaming. This one's pretty simple. You are where you are because something happened to you, because people didn't live up to their plan, and life happens to you. You don't have a chance to have any control of what's happening. You are a victim of life and of circumstances. There's no way to get ahead because it's all stacked up against you. So you need somebody to blame. You blame the world and your problems. And it's easy to be in a place where you're wondering, well, can I change this? In fact, with, with all of these traits... Can I change it? How do I actually move from somebody who is cynical, who thinks in absolute, to somebody who has peace of God? How do I make that transition? Well, I think you can shift your chronic negative mindset to one of faith that reflects the heart and character of God. And I want to give you a silly example of how it happens, and then I want to give you a far more dramatic biblical example. Okay, Let's start with the silly example. As many of you know, Darian has been out of town for, <coughs> for about a week, a actually a little over a week. Her little sister is having a baby in Oklahoma. And so um, Arlo and I are doing what I call surviving. That's, <laughs> that's, the best, that's the best way I can define that. And Arlo's funny. He is in this, he's in this funny stage, and by funny I mean infuriating stage, of self-independence. 
right? And he just wants to do everything on his own, which usually means it takes something that would take me 30 seconds, 30 minutes to accomplish as I sit there and just wait for him to crawl up in his car seat so I can buckle him up. Like, it's just nuts. But if Arlo wants to do something, he wants to do it, right? And you don't argue with him. You just let him do it. And if he doesn't want to do something, he doesn't want to do it. His mind is set. He is locked in, unmovable. You're not going to change it unless you have fruit snacks. Now, do I bribe my child with fruit snacks to make him do what I want him to do? Absolutely, I do. A hundred percent, I do. (coughs) And you can change your perspective as well. But here's the thing. It's not just going to happen. It doesn't just, you're not just going to be a happier person. You're not just going to be more positive. Remember the negative bias, right? Our mind sticks to negative. It bounces off positive. This is something you have to work for. You have to be intentional about. You might need supernatural help, or in my case, fruit snacks, to change somebody's mind, to change your own mind about what it naturally wants. I want to give you a much more dramatic example of this in 1 Samuel chapter 30. You can begin turning your Bibles over there. David has a remarkable example of this that it's one of those stories I've read years ago and I haven't read it in a while and I, it's just, it's amazing whenever you actually see how David is able to take a pretty pressing negative moment and what he does to turn things around inside of himself. Let me give you some context of what's happening here. We're about to enter into this moment of utter devastation. I mean, this this is a day that defied imagination. One of the worst situations that a human could walk into. Picture this, David and his troops, they are returning from battle, protecting their family and their home, giving, risking their lives to protect, and they come back home only to find that it's been absolutely decimated burnt to the ground. Their wives and children have been carted off by the enemy. Can you imagine the pain? Just try. Imagine your own family. The person sitting next to you, they're gone. Your home is gone. Everything. And and David, I imagine, is thinking, things can't get much worse here. But then his troops are now looking at somewhere, somebody in their bitterness that they can get it out to. So they're looking to David to get rid of into stone. Look, just read the text. When David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men, what did they do? They did what anybody in their right mind would do in this moment. They wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And David was greatly distressed because now the men were talking about stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his son's and his daughters. And some of you, in some way, not maybe exactly, but some way you resonate with what David is feeling right now. A lot of pain, a lot of despair, a lot of uncertainty. You may be hurting, you may be anxious, you may be afraid, you're feeling like you reached the end of your strength. And then in the midst of the darkest moment, of one of the darkest moments of David's life, he does something extraordinary. Just a couple of verses down, it says that David strengthened himself by the word of God. 
he used, he tapped into something, some reservoir of power and strength that not just anybody has access to. And I'll tell you what I mean here in a second. I love the King James version of how they said it. Just that bold part. (coughs) But David found strength in the Lord his God. That's where he found strength. David's highlighting something pretty important for us. That in the moment that we feel overwhelmed by the darkness of the world, that strength is available to us by God. Now, I've wondered to myself, what did David say to himself here? We don't know. We don't know his exact words. All we know is we found strength in God. He encouraged himself in some way. So I did a little exercise. Okay, where are other places David has strengthened himself? That he's kind of had this inner self-talk to himself. What did he say? Well, you get examples of like Psalm 103.1, where David is praying to his soul. Praise the Lord, my soul. He's talking to himself. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. He'll go on to say, He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and the crowns you and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things. I mean, David reminds himself of all of the faithfulness God has had in his life. He pulls it out of himself. And then Psalm 103 verse 8, I don't have it on the board here, but you can look for yourself. He does something pretty cool, and he recites a piece of text that you might be familiar with. He says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Now, you have likely have heard remnants of that verse because, fun fact, that's actually the most quoted Bible verse by the Bible. That's the most quoted one right there. Well, not this one, but the one I just read about the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He says it again in Psalm 86, 15. He'll say it again in Psalm 145, 8. And all of these examples come from Exodus chapter 34, where God describes himself. And he tells, let me tell you who I am. Now, here's the point in all of this. David has been extremely intentional of taking God's word and hiding it in his heart, of tucking it away for moments that he'll need it most, for moments when he may not have the words, but God will give him the words. He's pulling it out from somewhere. Take a moment to reflect on this profound example of David. In the face of adversity and negativity, he turned to God. He reminded himself of God's character. Even though his circumstances may tell him otherwise, he is reminding himself of what is actually true. Because the things on the outside may not look like they align with truth. They may not seem true. Most of the time, they're not true. And so David has to pull truth out of him, not from himself, but from God's words that he has hidden away inside of himself. I want to give you a tool. I want you to recognize how important this is, but you've been told this your entire life, right? Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And we can say that all day, and many of us are not reading our Bibles. Let's just call it as it is. 
Many of us are not reading our Bibles, at least not at the veracities that we should be reading it. So I want to give you a tool. How do I find myself in a place? How can I get myself in a place where I am able to pull God's truth out of my heart? The greatest tool I can offer you is you need to start acting like a cow. I know some of you have heard this before. Some of you, we have a lot of new people these days. So the people who've heard this before are like, Peyton, are you calling me a cow again? I thought, I, I thought we learned from this last time, but I need you to start acting like a cow. Why a cow? Because the cows have this process while they eat called rumination. Have you heard of this? It's disgusting. So what they do, <coughs> they'll take a mouthful of grass, they'll chew it, they'll chew it, they'll chew it, they'll swallow it, and then they'll bring it back up in their mouth and they'll chew it and they'll chew it and they'll chew it again and then they'll swallow it and then they'll bring it back up. And they repeat this process over and over and over again. Why would you repeat that process? Because they are extracting every bit of nutrition that they can from that grass before they internalize it trying to get its maximum ben benefit. They are ruminating on it. Did you know in Hebrew, the word for meditate is the exact same interchangeable word for ruminate. Word for word, to ruminate is to meditate, to meditate is to ruminate. So quite literally, we are encouraged to ruminate on God's word, to chew on it, to savor it, to extract every bit of spiritual nutrition from it that we can, and then to repeat the process over and over and over again. So we're, when we get to a place where we don't have to go find a verse, but it comes from within us. It's imprinted on our heart. It's tucked away and hidden. Maybe we don't need it right now, but the likelihood is one day you will. One day you'll be attacked by negativity. You'll be bombarded. It will sink into your life, in your soul. You will feel numb. You'll feel like you don't know where to turn. It's in those moments we need to pull from what is actually true. But first we have to store it away. It's some of you just need to take a negativity fast. You just need to take a break from negativity whether it's the constant barrage of negative news, turn off, don't turn on the news first thing in the morning or the last thing at night. Don't open up the news app. Don't look for what's happening in the world. Turn off the alluring effects of social media that's making you constantly feel inadequate. You're not good enough, it says. Break free from the rabbit hole of YouTube that is pulling your attention and distorting your perspective. It's time to break free. Who are you keeping company with? Who are you spending the most time with? Who are you, who is it easiest to gossip with about your friend, about your family member, about your church? Your thoughts have incredible power. They are determining the trajectory of your life. The good news is you have incredible power. You can have incredible power over your thoughts earlier, and this is how I want to land this plane. Earlier, we discussed the four significant categories 
of negativity, cynicism, absolute thinking, those kinds of things. I want to give you, I want to give you a spiritual truth <laughs> that you can ruminate on for the rest of this week. Depending on your category, on where you struggle the most, I want to give you something, a text, that you can quite literally take a picture of and pull it up every single day this week, and you can ruminate. You can chew on it. You can sit on it. You can feed yourself with it. What I've done is I've taken the negative thought, the negative attributes, and I've taken scripture, and I've replaced the negative with what is actually true and helpful and kind. So I encourage you, pull your phone out, everybody. You're not going to have time to write it down, but you will have time to snap a picture. And this is going to be something that I want you to quite literally tell yourself in the morning, tell yourself at night. Repeat these words twice a day for a week. Pouring truth and positivity in your life and just see what kind of effects the Spirit can do in it. All right, here we go. The first one, cynicism. If you struggle with cynicism, I want you to tell yourself this. With God's help, I will get rid of all bitterness and skepticism. I choose to believe the best about others and to be kind, compassionate, and loving. I will love and forgive others as Jesus has loved and forgiven me. Repeat it over and over and over again. If you struggle with negative filtering, I want you to repeat this. God, by your power, I take every thought captive. I make it obedient to the truth of Christ. Because you are good, I choose to think about what's good, right, true, helpful, and worthy of praise. As I trust in you, your peace will guard my heart my soul, and my mind. Repeat it over and over and over again. Believe that it is true. Absolute thinking. If you struggle with absolute thinking, say to yourself, as Jesus loved and accepted me, I will love and accept others. Rather than always being right, I am called to always be loving. Rather than just making a point, I choose to make a difference. In humility, I choose to love others more than myself. And the last one, blaming. If you struggle with blaming the world, God has given me a life and a mind of my own. By his grace, I will own my choices and I choose God's best for me. I believe I have been given everything I need to accomplish everything God wants me to do today. In Christ, I will overcome. Here's my prayer for you. Is that this peace that you have been missing in your life, that you will recognize that the the first step, and maybe the greatest step that you can make, is choosing what you allow yourself to think. Do you believe Do you believe that God is actually good? Do you believe that what he says, his word is actually true? That it has power in your life? Do you believe that while people are fallen, 
while they will make mistakes, while they will believe things that are completely different than you, do you actually believe that they are made in the image of God, that they are worthy of love and kindness? They're worthy of Jesus's grace just as much as you are. Do you believe that God has designed and created and molded you? That he knew what he was doing whenever he made you, that he didn't make a mistake with you? Do you believe that God, that Jesus is coming again? That we have an eternal hope with him to come? Because as we begin to actually believe these things, then the peace that we have been missing, it has been found, but it is only found in the man named Jesus Christ. It is in him that we find the peace that we have been missing for so long. And so, Father, we pray to you now. We pray that you will forgive us of our faults. God, that you will remind us or help us remind ourselves that you are good, that you are faithful, that you did not design my heart to be anxious and afraid, that you have designed it to be alert, to be concerned, to make changes, but not to live in a perpetual state of fear and anxiety and distress. God, the peace that I am missing, help me find it in Jesus. Help me actually believe that there is power in the word and power in the son and power in the spirit that is working through me. Father God, we want to recognize that what we think, that our thoughts are leading us somewhere. So God, I pray that we will ask ourselves that question. What do I say when I think to myself? What thoughts do I allow to go through my head? And this week, I pray that I can replace, I can replace the things that are not helpful, not kind, and not true with your word and your truth. That by the power of your spirit, working through your word, ruminating on it day in and day out, that I can change my life by changing my mind. And God, we thank you for the power that you have given us by your spirit to do this. And we pray that you will remain faithful in our life. That you will stay true to the characteristics that you, that were, have been repeated more times than any other verse. That you are compassionate, slow to anger. Father God, we just thank you. That we can come together and worship you for how good you are. And we pray, we pray that we will continually find the peace that the world can't give and the world can't take away. We find that peace in Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.